the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Given the clout that London still undoubtedly packs in global shipping, the paucity of shipping companies with a main board listing is an obvious anomaly. So when Hong Kong ship manager Taylor Maritime announced earlier this year that it was going to be launching an initial public offering as Taylor Maritime Investments, it understandably garnered a great deal of interest. The IPO raised $254 million in an oversubscribed issuing in May, and the company has gone from strength to strength ever since, snapping up second-hand handy maxes at very attractive prices, only to find themselves in the middle of a 13-year high point for the market. So when we heard that Taylor Maritime founder Ed Bushery was going to be passing the newly reopened Lloyd's List Towers, we thought we would get him in for a chat and a coffee. A quick note before we start this week, as most of our regular listeners will no doubt already know by the state of their calendars for next week, London International Shipping Week is upon us, and the Lloyd's List team are going to be out and about covering as many of the events and canapes as they can. Given the volume of things happening, we thought it only fair to bring you a few extra podcasts next week as we talk to the great and the good of Great British Shipping. They will be a little bit shorter than the usual editions, but you can expect to get some juicy audio tidbits in your inbox daily. Feel free to spread the word and ensure your friends and colleagues don't miss an episode. And if you see us at any of the events, please do stop us and let us know what you think. We're always keen to get your feedback, especially over a glass of wine. If you haven't already signed up, I will be moderating the Lloyd's Register flagship event, How Will the Maritime Industry's Decade of Action Become a Reality? That's on Wednesday the 15th. And I'm going to be speaking about shipping's image problem at the Blue Communications debate on Thursday. Both promise to be pretty entertaining debates, so sign up and come along. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation with Taylor Maritime's Ed Buttery. Welcome to the podcast, Ed Buttery, Chief Executive of Taylor Maritime. Thank you for having me. Um, so we are talking um, just before the launch of London International Shipping Week. You are here uh, doing various things, but you decided to launch your IPO in London. Um, tell us why, because I mean that to an outsider looked a bit of an anomaly. It could have been New York, it could have been Oslo, you could have gone anywhere. Why London? I think... Uh you know, London was attractive because we wanted to sign up to the highest levels of corporate governance and standards for uh, an exchange. And we felt that London presented uh, an exchange that not only had uh, sophisticated investors who are looking for uh, long-term growth uh, yield in this low interest rate environment, but also uh, presents uh, regulators that hold you to the highest standards, which is why we went uh, and were lucky enough to be accepted onto the premium. Uh, segment. It would be music to the ears of those attending London Shipping Week, uh, wanting to sort of promote London as a, uh, an epicentre of maritime business and trade generally, particularly in the post-Brexit era, where it's fair to say I, I think the UK is coming for a bit of a kicking um, for political reasons. Do you, do you stand by that in terms of London being that uh, epicentre of maritime excellence? I think London is a fantastic place for a shipping company to be based on the on the grounds that you have some major shipbroking firms here who really do control a lot of the shipping world from a broking point of view. And the level of information available here is exceptional. Uh, from a historical point of view, of course, uh, the UK has a long uh, tradition of being in the maritime industry. 
I'm, I don't think I would comment on the effects of Brexit and where that's going because A, I'm not a politician and they don't seem to get it right that often, but B, I'm definitely not going to get it right. I'm just doing, doing whatever I can to be fully informed and make, make good, good decisions on, for all our shareholders. Fair enough. Um, well, let's focus on your area of expertise. Uh, give us the helicopter pitch in terms of telemaritime. What, what is it? What do you do? And what's the strategic ambition? So in a, in a, in a short form, uh, the majority of the cargo we carry um, is, is food related. So your fertilizers and your, and your crops. Beyond that, we carry basic infrastructure materials. So we were looking for a product that uh, had resilient demand and was at a point in the value cycle that was uh, appealing relative to long-term averages. And it was trading at a huge discount to long-term averages uh, at the point of IPO and is now barely just past them. But also you have to look going forwards about the potential uh, of the investment you're making in shipping, which is the supply side. So as long as the demand is always stable, which obviously is with a growing population, food is always in demand, um, we had to consider the supply side. And with technology changing, uh, with the shipping markets at the very end of a 10-year depression, banks were less willing to lend to new buildings. The container market was starting to boom, and so yard slots were filling up with containers. Um, Technology didn't exist that's future-proofed yet. Um, And so the potential risk for the supply side destroying the balance of supply demand was limited. The potential for new equity to come into the market and make huge orders specifically within our segment was limited because a lot of people had lost so much money in the last decade. Um, So so really the, the fundamentals made sense for us and the potential of where this could go in the next three or four years remains significant. Um, So that's really the product we we felt had the best timing. You obviously strategically looked at things. You felt things were going to turn. Did you see the market panning out as well as it has? How much of this is strategy and how much is luck? Uh, What's the expression that luck is... uh, comes to those who are best prepared or something along those lines. We we worked tirelessly for eight years, since 2013, when I started writing down plans on the back of a napkin at a coffee shop um, when I was working at Nordea. Um, we did a lot of research. Obviously, I have access to some people who have done it once or twice before, which I took advantage of. We... We definitely had some luck, but we were well prepared. We do our homework. We work very hard. We've a young management team being overseen by a group of guys who, or, and girls who have done this for a very long time and done it with skill and passion. And now we have a, a, a team of guys and girls at uh, TMI who are, who are seriously bright, uh, very talented, um, and we got, we got our timing lucky. Now, when you talk about luck, yeah, 100%, we, got some, we had some luck. Our timing... Nobody can get that many puzzle pieces to fall into place at the same time. It's just, we were very lucky. Uh, and I'm so grateful that we were lucky because I think t- Taylor Maritime Investments has a fantastic future. How lucky are you going to continue to be? You've got handies at uh, 13-year highs, I think, we were discussing earlier. I mean, what, what's, what's the sort of mid-term forecast as far as you're concerned? Well... The 13-year high you're talking about is it includes some of the worst years on record for, for the handy segment. And if you're in a position where you have no debt, the lowest of the lows were 
around where OPEX levels were, and not for very long. So by our expectations, the 7% dividend policy is infinitely achievable, as long as we have discipline over what we pay for ships. Um, and there are obviously no black swan events that disrupt the whole world, which obviously is not something we can predict, but all we can do is be prepared. So we focused very much on buying ships as a function of long-term averages, keeping an eye on the future order book and when that order book could start delivering if someone wanted to go and order lots of handies. Mm. Um, and no debt. And so we've limited in our corporate governance to 25% loan to value with no long-term debt. And that's something I intend to very much stick to. Um, so, And that, in fact, our debt levels are significantly less than that. Um, and you will see so in some of our releases, maybe at some point in the future. But um, low debt, good asset prices, the right type of assets, which we can come on to, of course, um, and a management team that uh, is fully aligned with the investors. Mm. Well, let's talk about the assets themselves, because you have a fleet of older vessels, comparatively speaking. Um, what are you going to do in terms of uh, fleet renewal, in terms of their mid-term efficiency? Because I think you've got an average age of about 10 and a half years 10. currently. 10.6, yeah. Fine. Given the direction of travel on uh, access to finance via things like the Poseidon principles, given the um, uh, increasing uh, requirements to have more efficient tonnage, what's the strategy going forward given the age of the vessels? Well, when we were looking at the age of vessels for the IPO, what we wanted to look at was all all ships that we could buy. We could buy the new ships, but by and large, the technology available on newer ships was very similar, if not the same, as some of the older ships. So it came down to being able to run a fleet efficiently by investing in uh, new technology or modifications to the engines and the propellers um, that could bring us up in line with the regulations that are incoming and we'll easily be able to do that. We've done an assessment of our entire fleet and we do feel confident about being able to uh, at least match the regulations. This is the EEXI, EEXI uh, energy yeah. efficiency standards. Um, in terms of the availability of new ships, we don't think that the technology that's going to be the future technology is available yet. We don't think it's going to be available for about another 10 years. The average scrapping age of a handy is about 28. The average fleet age for us is 10. And so by the time the new technology starts to come in, our ships will be reaching the high teens or low 20s. We'll be able to sell them without taking the risk of having to scrap them because that's obviously a minefield that, we, as a public company, we don't particularly want to be involved with. Um, but so, so we're looking at ships that fit in nicely with the future technology coming into, into play. Um, but we still have the best quality 10-year-old ships you can buy. We have high-quality Japanese ships that can be modified and are being modified. We've just decided to go, for example, plastic-free for drinking water on all our ships. So we're installing water filters, we're installing LED lights and solar panels to power fans and things like that. Um, so we're, we're going after the easy-to-reach fruit that can very quickly make a difference. But in the meantime, it's important we've bought ships that can earn rates that are very nearly as much as the brand new ships, but these ships cost less than half the amount. This means our profitability is higher, and we will be in a position in 10 years' time to invest heavily in the right technologies. But right now, we don't know what those technologies are. So our job now is to set ourselves up in a decade from now to have the resources 
to be at the forefront of that new technology. Mm. And we are working on some things with some of our partners that over time will be announced, but they're quite exciting. So while others are considering dual fuel transitions and, and various uh, strategic options to get towards 2040, 2050, when you know, this mythical breed of ships that don't yet exist will be running on zero carbon, you're looking at running older ships in as efficient a way as possible. Give us some idea of how much that costs uh, in terms of you know, a premium. How, how much more expensive is it to run ships more efficiently at that age? Uh, we're investing about $350,000 in technology to adhere to the regulations coming into force in the next five years. Right. That's a small price to pay on a ship that's making four or five million of net cash a year and only costs you $15 million to buy. Uh, versus a new building price today, which has large, by and large the same technology um, and costs $31, $32 million. Um, and so the yield is much lower. The risk is higher because you're going to sit on that asset for much longer. Um, and with the fleet slowing down in general, the uh, benefits of having a brand new eco, in inverted commas, ship are actually not quite as um, exaggerated or, or, or pronounced as they otherwise would be. The original fleet of eco ships, uh, as you put it, I mean, there, there was the um, suggestion at the time that it was more marketing puff than actual efficiency. I mean, you seem to be suggesting that there's not a huge amount of difference between uh, you know, the newer ships on offer at the moment that are being touted around the market as significantly better compared to a well-run older ship. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I mean, in terms of what some of our peers have done in, and what they've, what they've marketed, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, everybody has a different um, opinion about uh, investment strategy, and that's what makes the world interesting. Mm. Um, I have a 2004 built ship that turned out to be our most uh, environmentally uh, least impactful this year from an operational point of view, and performed better on on various indices that we or me, me, matrices that we uh, measure their efficiency by. Um, compared to some of our five-year-old ships. If I take an example, um, a five- or six-year-old Handy, might with which is was sold as an eco-design, uh, fully laden, might be burning 19 tonnes a day, and we have 15-, 16-year-old ships that burn uh, one or two tonnes more a day than that. Mm. But, of course, we're extending the life of these ships by upgrading them there's new technology coming out all the time that can improve the efficiency of those ships. Uh, and at the same time, we've paid a lot less for them than wh whoever's paid bought them in brand new ship, and we're able to perform on a financial uh, results basis as well. So in terms of a growth strategy from here mm -hmm. until there is an available technology that you deem to be worth investing in, where do you go? Because right now, the asset prices are going up. You know, The deals that you have got to this point are not available anymore. How do you find the right tonnage and what does a growth strategy look like, say, in the next three to four years for you? I think uh, with yards full, more or less, until 2024, mm. the next three years obviously uh, presents possibilities for quite significant growth just in terms of earnings. And um, But when we start to talk about where to invest our money next... Um, I'm not going to make predictions or uh, projections or, or tell everyone what we've got planned, but um, we're not particularly uh, worried at this stage about our, our potential for growth. But if we're talking about 
buy more handies. We can buy handies today even at the elevated price um, and pay them off uh, in three years down to scrap value. Uh, there's obviously latent risk because you have operational risk, but the reality is you can buy a 10-year-old ship for 16 or $17 million. Mm. You're making between four and five million of free cash a year, provided you have no debt, you have free cash of that much. You can de-risk it very quickly. You've still got 10 years of life left in the ship. Um, I think the question is, you know, what point will people start ordering handies in, in, in a big way mm. or will demand start to slow down? The reality from a supply-demand point of view is we've got fleet growth every year of, um, well, we've got total fleet growth in the next three years of about 4%. And every year on a demand point of view, we have about 4% compounding growth. So even if someone wanted to come in and order 400 handies, it would A, be almost impossible. Um, B, they'd have to emotionally commit to what is arguably going to be out-of-date technology quite quickly or by the time they deliver. Um, and 400 ships would still not be enough for the handy fleet anyway because we're so short of ships every year. In terms of looking a little bit further ahead, you know, I find your story interesting because while the headlines are created by the likes of Maersk going methanol and green methanol and, and ordering the ships of the future, the reality is more akin to you. Uh, you know, the, the transition of the industry is about a uh, fleet of assets that um, you know have been built with 20-year lifespans in mind and you know this is a slow turning point you're suggesting at least 10 years before uh, you know viable zero carbon tonnage is, is available to go and buy on the earth market that gives you a, a fair uh, chunk of time to consider that strategy but I mean how would you from here view that panning out do you think the the future of fuels. Yes, uh, you can see why Musk, uh, for example, the big liner businesses are ordering dual fuel ships or investing heavily in ammonia and hydrogen because those ships have schedules that are planned way ahead, years in advance. So they know where to deliver and build the resource, the infrastructure to supply that fuel. Mm. Handys call thousands of different ports, and to upgrade the infrastructure for hydrogen would it is it's un it's not it's unworkable, frankly, um, and uh, and so. If I had to uh, have a guess, I would say that Handys will be running on biofuels uh, at some stage in the future. Which biofuel, I don't know. There's a lot of them. Mm. Um, but biofuel appears to be the most, have the most potential for a, for a longer-term solution or long to, medium to long-term solution for Handys. Okay. What about your investors and shareholders? I think one of them is a, a well-known German investor and a hedge fund. Who else has bought into the Taylor Maritime story? We've got, we've got around 50 different major investors, major investor groups or mm -hmm. institutional investors. Um, and they range from some of the largest pension fund managers in the UK and some of the largest asset managers in the world in, in Boston. Um, we've got some long-only asset managers in London. Um, I think our investor base is best described as... Uh, wide and high quality. Uh, I've spent this morning with some of our investors and they're supportive of our strategy and excited to see where we go from here. But pension funds, insurance companies, family offices, um, one or two hedge funds. I mean, I've, I've worked with hedge funds for a long time. Mm. Um, it's good to have them in because they create some uh, secondary liquidity in your share. But I would say the predominant shareholder in TMI is your long-only asset manager looking for long-term yield. And what about liquidity? 
Uh, is it what you're aiming for? We're certainly always working on liquidity, um, but the number you see on your Bloomberg screen is not really a true reflection of what I think the liquidity is because nobody's really selling. Everybody can see the potential that we have over the next three or four years because the statistics are there to see in black and white. So th what you get in our volume is you get small day trades and then suddenly you'll get a big kick and mm -hmm. that's because someone's just selling out a big chunk. But there's always someone there to buy. For every sale, there's a, there's a buy, right? So the liquidity is there provided the sellers are there, but no one wants to sell, which is fantastic. But obviously what we want is to create much more liquidity uh, at some over the next few years for those that do want to day trade it, because that's that's a healthy thing for your share price to have. Um, so, you know, we're, we're at $449 million of market cap. We just went through 450 yesterday. Um, let's hope we get to uh, 500 at the end of the year. Let's hope we get to a billion next year. Who knows? But the bigger we get, the more our liquidity comes, and that's always good for, for us. So we're working on it for sure. We okay. always want to improve it. Wonderful. Ed Buttery, Chief Executive of Taylor Maritime. Thank you for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Thank you for having me.